people are like, well, you're not really supposed to run into people. You're supposed to try to avoid them. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that if I can. But in the meantime, I'm trying to knock this guy out. Hey, when was the last time you seriously considered your dreams? I mean, come on, you used to think about them all the time. What happened? I say it's time that you and your dreams got back together. I mean, think about it. You could live the van life in a totally customized Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. You could tour all 423 national parks, build a mountain cabin with your dad, or even start up your own business. Really, whatever you want to dream up. And it's a Mercedes-Benz van we're talking about here, kids. So expect innovative safety features like crosswind assist and blind spot assist. Expect amazing performance and reliability with an MBUX voice command system, a five-star dealer network, and an available gas engine. It runs like, well, a dream. So what do you say? Head to the Mercedes-Benz dealership and get that Sprinter van. Tell them your dream sent you. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here, and welcome into season five of Half Forgotten History. Once again, we're delighted to be partnering with my good friends at Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans for season five, because those vans can help a lot of dreams come true, and the athletes I'm talking to saw their dreams come true by playing out in their chosen profession. Look, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans have helped a lot of my dreams come true. It's the perfect way to get to the golf course, get everybody to the tailgate, or just get everybody out of the house. Whatever your dreams are, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans can help bring them to life. So to start season five, we're gonna transition from a van to a bus, as in the bus, Hall of Fame running back Jerome Bettis. I sat down with him recently to talk about his career and how when he got offered a scholarship at the University of Notre Dame, he thought it was in Europe. True story. Let's start here. You probably don't remember the first time we met, do you? Shit. <laughs> I, I would I would have to think. I'm, I'm sure it was when we were when I was playing. So I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um. I, I I know with your memory, you you <laughs> know you have an incredible memory. Well, it was actually before I got to ESPN. I was working in St. Louis when you oh. were still a member of the St. Louis Rams, and you were holding out. And the thing was, is he coming? Is he coming to join the team or not? And there was, we all, all of us, the local reporters found out what flight you were coming in on to St. Louis International Airport. And, and Lamont was your agent, right? Lamont yep. Smith, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you and Lamont got off the plane and you were like, holy hell, what are all these people doing here? And we did this massive sort of gang interview with you as soon as you got off the plane and landed in St. Louis. Now I remember, I do remember that. It was was insane well listen, we were hungry for football back then man it had yeah. been a long time since we'd had something so it was you were you were a meal to a dying patient just put it that way so we, we were we were I, very I, happy to yeah. feast on the carcass i understand it, it, it was it was part of the deal all right we'll get to that a little bit later but I, I just your story is so fascinating on a lot of levels because where you started to where you became and what the things you were able to do if you go back and look at uh Jerome Abraham Bettis that grew up in Detroit doing the things you had to do to get by, would you ever have said to yourself, I would end up here? No, I, I, I would have never thought. First of all, football wasn't even in the equation growing up. So I would have never thought that this path would have been available to me because I wasn't even thinking about even playing football, much less uh, in the NFL. Yeah, you were a big, that, you were a bowler, right? That was your, that was your big thing you liked to do. Yeah, so my mom, when we were kids, we were young. I have an older brother, uh, Johnny. He's four years older than me. And so her, she had a brilliant idea that she wanted to take me and my brother and my my old my sister. She's the oldest, and take us and put us into um, bowling a bowling program. And that she thought that it would keep us busy, and that it would kind of shield us from some of the environment. And on the weekends when when really we don't have as much to do, we had something to do. So we didn't uh, kind of end up hanging out in the streets uh, in the neighborhood. So it, it was it was perfect. It worked very well because growing up, um, I was always bowling, always on Saturdays at the lanes. On Sunday, we were at tournaments. So I always found myself on the weekends thinking about bowling. Uh, and, and it did give me... Uh, kind of a, a way to escape, if you will, 
some of um, the, the challenges and temptations um, in the neighborhood. So you didn't start playing football till 14. I, I, would, I have to agree, knowing you like I know you, the first time a football coach saw you, they would have been like, oh, yeah, give me some of that guy. Yeah, so so for me, the, the decision – um, was 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 a little bit more than just going out to play football. So I I thought to myself, I need to give myself the best chance to get to college. I have an older brother, yeah. older sister, and if if school shopping was anything like me going to school, I knew I was going to be out of luck because you know I was the last one to get to school shopping, so I got very little. <laughs> right, so I said to myself. I'm going to make sure I take care of my school uh, so that I can I, I can get set up because I don't want to get shortchanged on the school thing. So I decided to give football a chance so I can get a scholarship. And bowling, there was only one school that offered a full scholarship for bowling, and that was Ohio State, right? And I'm like, yeah. one school? Uh, yeah. Every other school pretty much offered partial scholarships and, and not many had bowling programs. So I knew that that avenue was not going to get me to college. So I tried to play football my freshman year. I went out and uh, the coach, you know, my uncle was a football coach in the city. He knew the coach that he had, he was sending me to. And he said, hey, you got it raw. He's he's tough, but he's raw. He's never played. You know, but I think he can make a really good football player. I, I played linebacker my first year, um, did okay. My my sophomore year, I played tight end and nose guard. Um, and that's when I kind of got scrappy. And then my, my junior year is when I actually played running back for the first time. So I didn't actually play running back until my junior year of high school. Well, after playing nose guard, which is like getting uh, being a fire hydrant at a dog show, you must have loved the idea of taking the ball instead of taking the punishment on the inside. I so much did. I, I Because now my thought was I get to deliver punishment. So yeah. I was always the guy that was trying to, you know, hit the, hit the guy. So then I got – I said, I'm the running back. Instead of letting them hit me – I am going to hit them. And that was my mentality. So I started out and people were like, well, you're not really supposed to run into people. You're supposed <laughs> to try to avoid. Them. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that if I can. But in the meantime, I'm trying to knock this guy out. And so, and they were like, okay, well, we're not going to give you the ball that much. And I had to evolve to become uh, a guy that wanted to get yards and not hunt down uh, linebackers. But I have to believe in high school, there weren't a lot of dudes that were as thick as you were. No, no. I was, so my junior year, I was a, probably about six foot, well, no, 5'10", and I'm, I made, I weighed about 225 pounds, 230. So I was, I was put together pretty, pretty good. And I was, I was pretty fast. So it was, it was one of those, when my coach saw me, he, you know, he was he he loved um, what I could do because he had already coached uh, a pro uh, player in Pepper Johnson, yeah, Pepper. who went to yeah. Ohio State and played it, played for the Giants, Giants. won a Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, and so he went to high school. So my high school coach was familiar. He knew what an NFL player kind of looked like in high school, and 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 then I played linebacker as well, and. He said to me that, hey, you've got all the things that it takes. Uh, you know, we just got to, you know, get you now because I was more of a linebacker than I was a running back. Yeah. He's the one that convinced me to play running back in college as a, because most colleges wanted me at linebacker. But my high school coach said, you're too short uh, to play linebacker in the NFL if, you, if that's your dream. He said, and, and he didn't know that that really wasn't my dream. My dream was just to get to college. That's what I, my goal was. But he, but he was thinking long term for me, saying, "Hey, if you play running back, you'll you'll be kind of the perfect perfect size for a fullback, six foot, two hundred and forty pounds." And at the time, I, I ran a, a four four eight. I was pretty fast from. I mean, extremely fast to be as big as I was. So he was looking at it saying, hey, you're going to be the prototype if you play fullback. So 
he uh, he convinced me, and that's really what kind of set me on my path because before that, I was probably going to be an undersized linebacker uh, trying to make it. But I was, um, you know, I was tough. But, you know, like you said, I was a big kid at an early age. Well, listen, it worked because you were the number one rated player in the state, according to the Detroit Free Press, and you were the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Michigan, which is no small feat. So when did you know that Notre Dame was going to be the place for you? Initially, it's funny because having every weekend being in the bowling lanes, I never watched college football, right? So I didn't know any of the schools. So this was all pretty much new to me. So I was watching, 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 and I didn't know where a lot of these schools were, you know? So I'll never forget the first letter I got from Notre Dame. They sent the letter, and on the letter, it's got a gold dome, like, in the corner. Yeah. And it's pretty neat, right? So I'm looking, and I'm like, Notre Dame. I'm like, where is it? I said, isn't this in Europe? I'm like, I'm not going. I had no idea where Notre Dame was. Let me, let me tell you something. <laughs> Having spent a few weekends in South Bend, I can think of no place that is farther removed from the, the great cities of Europe, with all due respect, than South Bend, Indiana. Right? Those two things are not similar. I, I had no idea. You know? I'm like, where? All I, I knew where Michigan was because I'm was from I'm from Detroit. So I knew Michigan was in Ann Arbor. You, you know that. You know Michigan State. But outside of those two schools, I didn't know where anywhere was so so this was like all new to me as it as it was happening in real time it was you know it it was mind-blowing because now every week I'm getting these calls from coaches and and I'm getting coaches coming into the the school to meet with me and and so this was um it was very much out of my wheelhouse the experience so Notre Dame quickly came on the scene and um I started to watch, you know, some of the games during my senior year, and I watched them. They are, they played Michigan every year, so that was a big game. So I got a chance to see them. And in time, it just came down between uh, the two schools that ultimately I decided were Michigan and Notre Dame, which school was going to be best for me. It, I just determined that the offense for, for Notre Dame was going to be better suited for me because – Michigan had just signed the number one tailback in the country out of high school, and he was going to be coming to uh, going going to Michigan. So I, I just knew if I wanted to have any opportunity to really touch the football a little bit yeah. at fullback, that my best chance would, would probably be to go to Notre Dame. And uh, it, it, it worked out. It I certainly think. did. You set all kinds of records and you end up being a top 10 pick in the draft. And, you know, while you were trying to figure out where to go in college and what would be best for you, you couldn't have landed in a better spot when the Rams took you with the Chuck Knox heavy offense, right? For a running back, that had to be an absolute dream to land with that coach on that team. It was because, you know, he he wanted to, to run the football and they they had just had a running back there that went over uh, I think 1100 yards or whatever so you know it was one of those offenses that was proven that if you can get in there they're going to give you the football and obviously from a from a offensive standpoint I became the focal point pretty early on and they you know as I got better they gave me more and more carries and as I got more and more comfortable with the NFL game, my development kind of skyrocketed. So it went from my first preseason game, I'll never forget, we're playing the Arizona Cardinals, and the game, like it felt like it was going 100 miles an hour. I was just so nervous, and it's just like, choo, choo, choo. and I was thinking to myself, oh, boy, I'm, I'm in trouble. This, this, this gotta, you know, it's got to slow down somewhere. And eventually, as the preseason games rolled on, the first couple games were, were a little quick, but then I quickly kind of got it and it transitioned. And then I started to take off, and and Coach Knox, he just gave me the ball and gave me the ball opportunity after opportunity. And it led for me uh, having a breakout, you know, rookie season and uh, being a rookie of the year and all the success. And my the the, the moment that I felt that I had made it 
was when I got to the Pro Bowl, and the other two running backs with me on my team was Emmitt Smith it's and Barry good. Sanders. And here I am, a, a rookie. I'm a rookie. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm in the backfield with Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith. I'm, I, I should be blocking <laughs> for these guys. I should be like a running back with these guys. So that was that was that moment when I was just like, "Wow, this is uh, yeah." This is pretty I'm cool. sure at that point you're like, "Wait, one of these things is not like the other. Like this is like put me in a separate group." <laughs> Especially growing up in Detroit, right? Right, and knowing seeing Barry do his thing all those years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and me and Barry have become friends because uh, we had the same agent. Lamont was his agent as well, so I got a chance to you know talk to him a couple of times. So just just being in that room with those guys. You know, it made me feel as though I was, um, uh, I, I, I had made it, and I was supposed to be there. And I think that really helped my confidence more than anything going forward, knowing that, uh, you know, I was here. I am sitting with the best of the best. Yeah. So the first two years as part of the LA Rams are absolutely great. Thousand yards each in the next two years. Then the team moves and they bring in a different coach and things take a turn that will eventually turn out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you, but it didn't feel that way at the time. Why don't we take a quick break here and we'll come back with that story with Jerome Bettis right after this on Half Forgotten History. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, I get to chat with the top players, coaches, and personalities that I've had the pleasure of connecting with through my two plus decades of covering the game of football. But this football season, I'm also looking forward to something else. Uh, to traveling and reconnecting with many of the guys I've talked about at the actual games. Yes, we can do that now. And when you travel with the U.S. Bank Altitude Connect Visa Signature Card, you'll also earn the most from it. So here's what you want to do. Hit the road and take it all in from points of interest to points back for how you travel. For example, you can earn four times points on travel and at gas stations. And if you book your prepaid hotel or car rental directly in the Altitude's Reward Center, you can earn five times points. Plus, as you know, you'll earn two times points on groceries, dining, and streaming services. And all other eligible purchases, yeah, you'll earn points on those too. So start earning more today and connect with 50,000 bonus points and a $500 value when you spend 3,000 within the first 120 days of an account opening. Learn more at usbank.com slash Altitude Connect. The U.S. Bank Altitude Connect Visa Signature Card is issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Intuit, the company powering products like TurboTax, QuickBooks, Mint, and Credit Karma. For anyone out there using TurboTax online, their error recognition tool catches mistakes you might have missed. And we all make mistakes. Like when I input my information to get my tax return, if I misplace a digit, which can't happen, in my routing number, my refund could get delayed for weeks. Nobody wants their refund delayed. Luckily, Intuit has my back and will detect common errors like these on the fly so that you can correct it and get your return on time. And QuickBooks help you manage your business all in one place from tracking everyday expenses to being ready for tax time. You can also send invoices, receive payments, we all like that, run payroll and track future cash flow right inside QuickBooks. It's as easy as some of the plays our guests have made on Half Forgotten History and they made it look easy, trust me. Even if you don't own a small business, Mint's budgeting tools and recommendations are there to help you save for whatever, like saving up to go golfing at some great courses. And I have some great trips planned. I'm going to go out to Hawaii for a little bit, going to go to the desert, play a little golf there. So I want to make sure I have those funds where they need to be. Intuit works for what you work for. And whether that's a small business or just you as an individual, Intuit's innovative products make managing your finances and setting yourself or your business up for success really simple. All right, back with Jerome Bettis on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So, you know, in keeping with our partner this year, Mercedes, you know, it's a dream to drive a Mercedes. It was a dream for you to be in that Chuck Knox offense with the L.A. Rams. And then it kind of got nightmarish with Rich Brooks and what the St. Louis Rams were doing. But it turned out to be a dream for you as well with where you ended up. And we'll get to that in a minute. But when you heard the team was moving and there was going to be a coaching change, what was going through your mind? Because you almost didn't show up. Yeah, for me, it was difficult because, you know, I had just had two big years, went to the Pro Bowl both years, uh, 1,000-yard seasons, and we were trying to renegotiate our contract. 
And the yeah. team told us, hey, we are about to go on this extensive move. We're moving to St. Louis. Once we get to St. Louis and settle in, then we will continue the conversation. Yeah. When when they when we when they moved to St. Louis, they did not continue the conversation. And what a shock. Right. And for me, that was a, a bit of a betrayal in that. You know, you you say you you say what you're going to do. I mean, if if and if you are, if I'm your best player, then you would treat me as such. At the very least, let's have the conversation about hey, maybe not this year, maybe next year. Let's talk. Well, they went cold, no conversation, zero. So at that point, I told my my uh, agent, that's fine. Well, if they don't want to talk, I don't want to show up. And that's basically what happened. And it, you know, it, it was a, a principal issue for me. It was, yeah. you said you were going to do something. I didn't say I needed the new contract. You said that we would pick this up and we would continue the conversation after you moved. After you moved, they wouldn't return our phone calls. I called personally. I didn't re receive a call back. So at that point, I said, if it's now you've made it a personal issue. And so I decided not to show up until somebody called me. I said, somebody's going to call me because nobody wants to give me a call now. So I'll just wait until somebody calls me. And it, it had to be maybe two days into camp. I got a phone call and they said, hey, what? And I said, funny that you guys are just giving me a call. Uh, as training camp has already started, you know, and and then we kind of aired out our issues and went through that. But in the meantime, the coach, Rich Brooks, when he had been hired, we had a, a, a mini camp, right? Introductory mini camp when he came in. So I was there. I was at the mini camp. And this mini camp was in L.A. Uh, it had, they had the team hadn't moved yet. Yeah. So we had this mini camp and at the end of the mini camp, he asked about eight or 10 guys who were the leaders on the team. He said, Hey, if I, if I ask the team to come in a couple of days early, would everybody be amenable to it? I said, sure. I, you know, we, everybody's to a man said, yeah, we, we would do it. Well, he held that as saying, I lied to him about coming coming in early because I had a contract and I tried to explain to him, this is a contract situation. This has nothing to do with you. He's zero to right. do with you. He felt as though I lied to him. And so now that was, that was the, 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 the kind of um, flag that he was going to carry that, Hey, you lied to me. Da, 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 da. And so from that point on, our relationship um, was, 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 non-existent so when i did show up to camp he wanted to at that point do everything he could to try to uh uh take me out of the lineup and not allow me to play he wanted you to be a fullback again he wanted you to be a fullback again more than exactly. a running back yeah well well what happened was that season i, I there was another guy i kept leonard um i can't think oh, of his leonard name. russell Leonard, Leonard Russell, Russell. Leonard Russell that came over for the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, number 42. Leonard yeah. Russell was the other running back. And so what he was trying to position was for Leonard Russell to kind of take my spot and that kind of thing. And so ultimately, I, you know, I would I, – I don't – I'll never forget. We played – we went down to Atlanta. I had like a 40-yard run. And then after, the, after I have a 40-yard run – I don't play again the rest of the game. You know, it's kind of like, what What are you doing? So he did these kind of things. And 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 for whatever reason, hey, it is what it is. Um, and But the problem I had was he would say that I was a cancer in the locker room. When I never, not one time, used my situation to say anything negative in the media to yeah. any other Players, I just kind of, hey, I took it in stride and I handled it the way that you, you're supposed to handle it.
But then after the season, he said that I was a cancer in the locker room and I was doing all these negative things. And that was just a flat out line. So I was at that point. Then they came to me and asked me, well, would you consider playing fullback next season? And I told them, I said, I will play fullback, but not here. Yeah. I said, I will not play here again. And then at that point, I, I went back to Notre Dame. I re-enrolled in school and I was committed to finishing my degree. And I was not going to play football again if they wanted me to come back to St. Louis. I was that committed uh, to not playing. So the long story short, my agent and and the, and the uh, general manager, vice president, they got together and they were able to uh, figure out a way that that I would be traded. The interesting part about that was they gave me permission to seek a trade. Right. They they so, asked you where you wanted to go. Yes. So so my agent and I we. I mean, well, actually, my agent, he started the process. So he found two teams that were interested. Both teams were going to give the same thing, a second-round pick and a conditional fourth-round pick or whatever. Oh, my God. So it was it was the Houston Oilers at the time, yep. and it was the Pittsburgh. My agent, he, was, he wanted me to go to Pittsburgh because – the Houston Oilers were, were picking 15th in, in that year's draft, and he had a running back in the draft, right? The top running back in the draft that year. So he wanted me to go to Pittsburgh, but I, I was looking at both of the options. The running back happened to be Eddie George. Eddie George. And so I looked at Pittsburgh, and there was a couple of reasons that made me say, you know what, this is the place I want to go. One, they had just lost in the Super Bowl to Dallas, and they had a championship caliber team but two they loved big running backs they yeah. revered the running game and they enjoyed four yards or three yards in a cloud of dust right it wasn't something that was foreign to them so that was very enticing so i i, I ultimately made the decision i wanted to go to pittsburgh and then eddie got drafted by by um, houston and it became great for both parties it did um but me, Pittsburgh was a dream place because if there was ever a team in a city that fit me as a player, um, but as a person as well, yeah. uh, everything just came together. And it then my the the nickname the bus kind of reemerged, yeah. and it just became a match uh, made in heaven. And it was perfect. But I just want to be clear so people understood. Like in the right, right around the draft in 1996, I think it was April 20th, 1996, future Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis was traded away for a and a third round pick. They sent you and a third round pick to Pittsburgh in exchange for a second and fourth round pick. That has got to be one of the worst, most lopsided trades in the history of the NFL. <laughs> it it was um in retrospect, it was a bad decision. But you know what? Horrendous. I'll never forget the comment that Rich Brooks made that he needed a game breaker <sighs> at the running back. And then he they commenced to draft Lawrence Phillips. Which was a disaster on uh, so many levels. Take my place on so many levels. And it was one of those things where you got everything that you wanted because you uh, you had this idea in your head that, that I, I couldn't be a game breaker. And then the next year in Pittsburgh, we play the Rams. Oh, I remember. And I, and I break a 50-yard touchdown run in that game. And it was just fitting because for, for a coach who said, I couldn't break a game open, I wasn't a game breaker, to do it against them in the very next year it was uh, very rewarding for me, to say the least. Listen, your your Steelers career, and we'll get to the highlight of it, obviously, but there were so many interesting things that happened to you in Pittsburgh, besides running for 1,400 yards and 1,600 yards and 1,300 yards and 1,100 yards. Like, to this day, when I say the name Phil Luckett to you, what comes to mind? Oh, uh, just a travesty. Unbelievable. So <laughs> But but here's the here's the worst part of that whole thing. 
The one, so, so people uh, that don't know, so just so I know, okay. it was it was a, it was an overtime game in right. Thanksgiving. The Steelers were in Detroit taking on the the Lions. The game went to overtime, and Phil Luckett was one of the referees who had, who was calling the coin toss. And you said what? I always caught heads. I always did the coin toss every game. We were on the road. I always caught heads. So this was really the first time we kind of went into went into overtime uh, in a while. In a long time, in a while. So, in that moment, they come up and they say, uh, "You know, who's going to call?" It? I say, "I'm going to call it." And he says, "Well, he throws it up." He says, "Well, you, you know, you know, call it in the air." He threw it up, and I said, "I want to say heads like I right. always do." I said, yeah. "Tails." And he just out of nowhere said, "You said heads. There is a tails, right?" At that point, everybody froze and started looking around like, what What? what just happened? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Even the, the guys from the Lions were looking like, because they all heard me say tails. I think Luckett heard the initial hit and went was into the coin toss and didn't listen to the rest of it. And you can hear it on the audio, mm-hmm. but it was the were And then the Lions go down. They win the game. Coach Coward, yeah, he's—I love him. He's—he's like, you are fired. You're fired from the coin toss. <laughs> fired from the coin toss, and it was just like, I know I did it. I did it right. He's like, you are fired. So I was—I was fired from a coin, the coin toss from that day forward. So it was a very bad day. Very bad day for me. This just in, officials are still struggling in the NFL, in case you hadn't, hadn't noticed it. It hasn't gotten much better. But I see Paul Tagliabue, right, yeah. that that next year in, in Pittsburgh, he came in for something. And so I say, I say, you know, Commissioner, what? He says, well, neither one of you guys were wrong. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. how was that possible? There's no possible way neither one of us is wrong. You got to walk but that anyway, line sometimes. They named the rule after me, yep. and now it's the Jerome Bettis rule, and it's like you don't really want to have a rule named after you in a really negative way, but I'm stuck with that. So every Thanksgiving, it always comes up. I know for sure I will see myself on television somewhere around Thanksgiving time. Yeah. <laughs> And then another really weird thing happened to you. You missed uh, seven games, I think, with a groin injury in 2001, but the Steelers are 13-3. and three. They have a great season. So you're getting ready for the postseason. You're ready to go back, and you're ready to play after missing all those games down the end of the regular season. And in warm-ups, they give you a pain-killing shot, and your leg goes numb, and you can't play in the game over the Ravens. This one, this one was – it was shocking. So – I practiced all week, and I had a, just a little bitty nagging kind of achy pain in my groin area. And I said, Doc, can we just do something to knock that little edge off? So I don't, you know, I want this game. I don't really want to feel anything. I, if even we can just knock this, it's just a little bitty spot, right? And he was like, sure, show me where the spot is. So, I said, so he gives me the, the numbing shot. Well, whatever happens, it hits my femoral, well, Femoral artery. Nerve. Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm out in pregame. And I'm warming up for pregame. And I go to catch the ball, and my leg is, is my foot is sliding against the ground. I'm tripping. You couldn't so feel like, it. What is going on? Why am I? But, but, but I can't, I can't, no, I can't feel it because it's numb. I don't, I don't feel that I'm not, because my, my mind is telling my leg to do everything, so I'm thinking that it's doing it. But what I'm realizing is that I'm tripping. Something's not right. So I, I, I say to myself, let me go back in the training room. So I, I, I beeline to the training room. Well, in our tunnel, there are some steps. There's three steps to go back into the locker room. So I'm, I'm jogging, and then I go to take the steps. And I thought I was taking a step, but my leg didn't go up. So I crash into the steps, right? And I'm literally crawling into the locker room and I'm yelling to the trainers because my leg now has gotten to the point where it won't even allow me to get up 
to, to walk into the room. So I'm literally crawling into, and I'm yelling, I'm going crazy. And as soon as they, they came to me, they knew exactly what it was. I'm crying. My, the doctor, he's crying. It, I mean, it was just, it was, it was crazy because I, and so here's what I said. I said, doc, well, um, give me something, give me something to kind of reverse it. Right. He's like, <laughs> well, no, we can't, he said, there's nothing to reverse. I said, okay, well, all right. All right. So, I'll be good for the second half then, right? He I don't said, think so. Yeah, he, he said, if the second half was nine hours from now. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, man. I was like, what? Uh, he said, yeah, Jerome. He said, it's going to be nine to 11 hours before this thing wears all the way off. And I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. So it was the it was the one of the weirdest moments uh, I've ever had to miss a playoff game. I mean, after warming up, I mean, I'm in warmups and I just disappear and people don't know what happened to me. And I'm in the I'm in the uh, training room and I can't walk. Yeah. And, And it was just a couple years later. You guys, it was Ben's rookie year, and you guys were unbelievable. I think you went 15 and one that year. Home field advantage, yeah. and you're you're getting uh, to play the AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh on a freezing cold day. I mean, this was a Pittsburgh Steelers. There was a snowstorm. People were worried were the Patriots going to get in there, and you guys were the number one seed, and. It all came up short, and there was that shot of you on the bench afterwards, and it certainly looked like at the time that you had the realization on your face that I've played my last game, and we came up just short. But it turns out someone made a promise to you, and that brought you back for one more year. So so that game, I, have, I was kind of resigned to my fate. I, I realized that, you know what, I gave it a hell of a run, and that, you know what, I've got nothing left, um, and this is the end of the road for me. So in that moment, I was kind of taking it all in. Tears start coming down my eyes, and I'm, I'm, I'm crying. And then I go to the, I go and take a knee on the sideline, and I'm crying. And Ben comes up, Ben Roethlisberger comes up next to me, and, and he says, JB, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he just said, it, I, it, very instinctually, like he knew what I was, the decision that I was mulling over. And he said to me, he said, Jerome, just give me another chance. He said, I promise you, I'll get you to the Super Bowl, right? And now here, here I am, this 32, 33-year-old guy, been in the league 12 years, and I got this kid here who's, uh, you know, this this youngster really he didn't know anything he's saying he's gonna promise to get me to the super and i'm like yeah right right (laughs) initially you say okay just just shut up really just shut up leave me alone right um and that's kind of what you're thinking and so it was one of those moments where i heard him i'm listening to him but it was just still not you know i just i just didn't think that was it so the next day i go into the team i ask coach to talk to him i tell the coach that hey i'm retiring i tell the whole team that i'm done and every there's no dry in the house everybody's crying i'm crying and and coach told me listen after he says just think about it don't make any rash decision right i said okay well it just so happens my life was changing already so my my daughter was about to be born literally the next day. Wow. Two days later. So I fly from from Pittsburgh to Atlanta where I was living with my wife. And and now the next day I get there, that that night she goes into labor. The next day my daughter's born. So I am really change uh, you know turning the, the page on that chapter of my career and my life and I'm moving on in my head. Well, my daughter is a is was was born prematurely, so she was a preemie. She's in the hospital. I get a phone call from the league office. The league office after this is after the Super Bowl. Now it's been a, it's been a week. Now they have the Super Bowl. Uh, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. I get a call that Monday, and they say uh, Corey Dillon broke his ribs in the game. He he was he was the um, 
in the, in the Pro Bowl. You're the first alternate. Do you want to go to the Pro Bowl? I said, you know what? Let me check with the boss. Yeah. But probably, in all probability, the answer is no. My daughter's still in the hospital. But let me add. I just want to, you know. So I talked to my wife, and she said she said something very profound to me. She said, "Is if this is the end of your career, you wouldn't you want it to end on a positive note, as opposed to having lost in the AFC Championship? Wouldn't you want it to end having gone to the Pro Bowl, having you know kind of received some of your just desserts on your way out? Wouldn't you want that to be the last memory?" And I said, you know what? That that's that is very accurate. That makes a lot of sense. And you're right. So I called back and said, yes, I'll, I'll go. Well, I didn't realize that the Steelers, because we lost the Andrew Championship, the whole entire coaching staff was the staff for right. the Pro Bowl. We because we were 15 and one. I think we had eight guys. We had the most of any team of players at the Pro Bowl. So we had eight teammates of mine. Plus we had. Team, teammates that each guy brought with them. So we had about 25 teammates there. We had the coaching staff. And then the Rooney family, the ownership, decided to come as well. So now you've got the coaches, the owners, the players, everybody's at the Pro Bowl. And we have we have what they – we had a Stiller Luau. It was a Stiller event just for the Stiller guys and the players and the families. And, and so it was just a great event. Well, at the Stiller event, Two guys kind of harassed. They were harassing me all night. The guys were harassing me all night to come back for another year, right? I'm thinking I'm done with, with having to convince these guys that I'm done. So they got a whole nother week to have me, um, you know. And so we had to still a luau. And Clark Hagens and Larry Foote. Linebackers. Larry Foote's from Detroit. Yep. Linebackers, both nutty uh, as ever. <laughs> I call it crazy. You got to be crazy to play linebacker in the NFL. Correct. So these guys, they pulled me to the side, and I'll never forget. Clark said, "Listen, man, we're gonna we we, we were fifteen and one last year. We're gonna have this great team. We're gonna just the same team coming back. We're gonna be just as good, if not better, next year, right?" I was like, "Wow!" I said, "You're right. That's a great point. Mm, that's interesting." Then Larry Foot says, "And." The Super Bowl is in our hometown, man. You you gonna hate missing the Super Bowl in our hometown? And I was just like, because as a football player, you don't think about where the Super Bowl is next year. No, you think about where the Super Bowl is that year. You're not even thinking about one next year. You two years, and so I had no clue the Super Bowl was in Detroit. And when Larry told me that, it really struck a chord, and I thought to myself. If they, if they go back to the Super Bowl in my hometown and I'm not there, I, I'm, I'm going to be a streaker on the field. I'm going to get on the field some kind of way, right? It's like, I'm getting on. It's like I thought to myself, this would be the worst thing in the world imaginable to be in Detroit, the Steelers, in, win the Super Bowl in my hometown, and I'm not part of it. And those talks convinced me along with um, talking to my wife that, you know what, I needed to come back. And once I decided to come back, it was one of those in the back of my head that, you know what, we got a great football team. Uh, but it wasn't until the first playoff game of that season. Yeah, because we all know where this is headed, but it gets there a little bumpier than everybody thought. So why don't we take our second break here? We'll come back and talk about how, how we got to where we eventually ended up because it was not the smoothest of rides. We'll get back with that with more from Jerome right after this. It's football season, baby. And you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of this show, Manscaped. Look, blitzing through hairs has never been easier. And it's time you joined the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code WINGO to get 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window for all those other trimmers. And now go tame that wildcat offense. The world is starting to open up, and the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Retriever Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package, and a key for a great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are as smooth as Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock 
and gives you the ability to turn the 4000 LED spotlight on and off when you need it for that more precise performance. Did I mention this thing's waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of 4.0. Although if you're doing this in the snow, I have serious questions. Look, there's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. This package also comes with a weed whacker. The Elite nose and ear hair trimmer is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degrees rotary dual blade system. The trimmer also has proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate areas. After thinning your footballs, show them some love with Manscaped's liquid formulations. We have an exclusive offer for our audience. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WINGO at manscaped.com. Manscaped also threw in two free gifts, their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code WINGO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WINGO. All right, back with Jerome Bettis on Half Forgotten History. So you you make the emotional plea to come back. You're ready to roll, and you're going to be great. And the Steelers, who were 15-1 in 2004, are going to be just as good, except you guys weren't. And now it's late in the season. It looks like you guys are going to miss the playoffs. You're no longer the feature guy anymore. Fast Willie Parker is there. He's doing things. And at some point, did you think, wow, I came back, and we're not even going to make it into the playoffs? I said, I, I'll never forget it. We had just lost to the to Cincinnati Bengals. And this yep. was the lowest point of the year for us. Obviously, the Bengals being our big nemes- nemesis in our division. Them to come into Pittsburgh and and then to beat us, right? And it was just, it was a sickening feeling. And I thought to myself, I came back for this? I don't believe this, right? It's like, I could have been somewhere sipping a pina colada somewhere. What am I doing? <laughs> and so the next week, after we lose to them, now I'll never forget Coach Kyle. We come into the meeting room, and it is dire straits, right? Everybody knows the position that we're in. We're playing the Chicago Bears. And on our on our board, Right, we have the big board in our team meeting room, and usually every year. Now, this is I have been with him for 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 nine years at that point. This is my tenth year with Coach Coward. Every year he put each game. It'd be sixteen games up there, and he would have a a win loss, and then he would have certain certain key categories that if we he always felt there was like three to five categories. If we won three of the five categories, and we would probably win the game, like you know time of possession, a turnover margin, those kind of things, right? And 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 he always put that that on there, and so he had he wiped everything off the board. And all it said was Chicago. So everybody was like, whoa. You know, in 10 years, nobody had seen the board be empty. And it just right. said Chicago. So we knew it was serious. So when he came in, it was very serious. And he was just basically letting us know that, guys, it's only – this is one game. All those other games, the next games that's coming, none of them mean anything. It's a one-game series right now for us, right? And really, it put us in playoff mode before everybody else is even considering the playoffs. So we were in the playoff mode with, with I believe, four games to play. And yep. so he said all of this, and so now the Chicago game is a big deal. Their defense was a number one ranked defense in the league. I think Erlacher was 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 MVP level. So it was just kind of that deal. So he, we were like, this is serious. And so we, we, we go into this game knowing that it is a must, must win. And lo and behold, we get to the game, and the conditions are nowhere near Awful. what you would right perfect what you want for a football game. It was muddy. It was it was wet because it was snowing, and then we had the the um, our field has the coils underneath that it melts, you know, but it makes it slushy and wet and nasty. And Willie Parker. Is is what we consider uh, a Ferrari, right? Yeah. He's a fast, fast Willie guy, Parker, yeah. Fast Willie Parker, and he couldn't get his footing. Well, I'm a mutter. My mother's <laughs> a mutter. I'm a mutter. So, so it just was was perfect. So in the first half, couldn't get anything going. I had one yard in the first half. 
they put me in for the second half, and the magic happens, and we start going. Well, we did it. And I start breaking off some big runs, and we have some big moments. And I think the moment that really kind of encapsulates my career uh, in one play, if you will, was a play late late in the game, uh, going down to score, and they call a counter play, and and this was one of those great plays. Alan Fanica pulls out. I go behind him. I get in the hole. There's a guy there. I, I you know, I run him over, and Erlacher is right there. And there's nothing I can do. It just, I all I can do is is go right into him, and I run him over, and I score a touchdown. Right. But but unbeknownst to me that they get all of this footage like in in the cameras, right? And so now this picture is out there of me in that moment. And it was, you know, one of the, the, the biggest moments of my career, but it was one of the biggest moments of our season because that that kind of turned the tide for us as a football team yeah. and it put us on path. Uh, to go down and and uh, have a chance to win a championship. I mean, literally, you won your last four games of the regular season to get into the postseason as the number six seed. Yes. No one had ever won the Super Bowl four as a six seed. So on the wild card weekend, you get the Bengals, a little revenge game there. That was the Kimo Von Olhoffen game. Uh, but then comes the Colts. Now, people might have forgotten the 2005 Colts. I think they started 13-0, and and then there was a, the tragedy with Tony Dungy's son passing, and they sort of got through the end of the regular season. But they were the number one seed, and this was going to be Peyton's year. And you guys go to that game. That was one of the weirdest playoff games I can ever remember watching. And it's late in that game, and you guys are up 21-18, to 18, and you're about to win to go to the AFC Championship game. And they're like, we're going to the AFC Championship game. We're going to give Buss the, the touchdown to seal the game to seal the game. It's going to be there, and it's going to be the greatest story in the world. They hand it off to you, and oh my God, what happened? It was an actual, I call it an interception, um, because it wasn't a fumble and the ball hits yeah. the ground. This was more like an interception. <laughs> the ball never hit the ground. So I'm, so I'm running, it's a goal line play. I'm running to hit it up in there, and I kind of turn sideways to, to get through the hole. And as I turn sideways, a linebacker, I think it's Brackett. Gary Brackett, big head Brackett, yeah. He he came right across my chest, and his helmet hit the ball, and it popped the ball up in the air. And all I can remember and see was I was already turning, going backwards, and the ball is going that way, and I can see it, but I can't get to it. And then I, once I hit the ground, you know, it takes you a couple seconds to get up and guys are, because it's a pile. So I'm trying to, you know, get up. And, find, and once I get up, I see the, the Nick uh, Harper, the uh, Nick cornerback, Harper. Nick Harper running, running down the right sideline. And, you know, before you know it, I see Ben kind of backpedaling, doing this thing. And, the, I will say this, one of the most amazing tackles you could ever imagine in that type of scenario because you got to know that Ben is not the fastest guy no. in the world, right? And he's a quarterback. Don't really tackle a lot. And his cornerback, if he decides to cut across the field, he's got the entire field to get around Ben, and there's no fast guys on the, on, the, on the goal line. Unit. It was all big guys, so it was it was really Ben or nothing. And in that moment, in my in my weakest moment, I tell you, um, because people ask me all the time, "What were you thinking?" I, you know, when it hit, I was thinking, "Oh, bleep, 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 bleep!" <laughs> I can't believe it's happening, right? And so to see Ben, you know, navigating his way and then actually tackle the guy. It was the most amazing moment uh, you could have ever imagined. Now, I was still sick because Peyton Manning has the yeah. ball with a chance to go out, go down and win the football game or tie it with the field goal. It was a very sickening feeling uh, that I had. But I tell you what, my defense 
all day was incredible, and they were not going to allow us uh, to lose that game, and they found a way to, to force them to have to kick a field goal. Well, two things I remember that real quick before we move on to the Super Bowl. One, you might have recalled or didn't know that week Nick Harper had gotten into a little tiff with his significant other, and she had sort of stabbed him in the leg. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that yeah. maybe that might have slowed him down a little bit. Uh, and, yeah, and then he, was, Vander- he had his knee wrapped up. His knee was yeah. wrapped up. I, yeah. I, I didn't see that. Yeah. And then and then Vanderjack was there to kick a field goal that would have sent it to overtime. And I'm telling you, he couldn't have missed it by more. I, it almost didn't stay in the stadium. Like it almost didn't stay in the I stadium. Tell people it it went it landed in the tunnel in the corner. <laughs> I mean, he hit it that far right where it kind of went towards the corner when you go into the when you go into the stadium off the field. It was that wide right. It wasn't even close. Yeah. Uh, and it was, I'll tell you what, that was the most incredible moment for me because obviously um, it, it saved the day and I wasn't a GOAT because you got to think, 13 years, I'm playing this game. I've had some incredible moments and I'm all I'm thinking while I'm sitting on the sideline because understand, when, when you make a mistake like that, I'm on the sideline. It's it's like I'm a leper. Nobody is around me, right? I'm sitting there by myself. Nobody is speaking to me. It's like, you know, I'm in no man's land. And in those times, you got to just, you know, you're sitting there thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, I'll never forget, I said to myself, is this how, you know, my career is supposed to end? And I said, Lord, if this is how you want it to end, then... I'm okay with it. I'm going to pick my head up and I'm, you know, I'm going to carry myself uh, with pride, but I'm telling you, I was sick. Uh, I mean, ill. And, and when he, when he missed the field goal, it was such a big relief off of me. It was like, I was given a second chance. Yeah. And you tap dance those guys in the AFC championship game. And I'll never forget after it was over. I remember seeing your face as soon as the game was over on the sidelines in Denver and they caught you on camera saying, we going home, we go, and that home. Made, we going home to Detroit. And that was the whole thing. And I remember being in Detroit. We, our studios were at the Ren center, right downtown. And when you guys came off the bus, Almost, or the plane rather, almost all of your Steeler teammates were wearing your Notre Dame jerseys or your high school jerseys. That had to be the coolest thing in the world. I'm gonna tell you what it was. The, it, it was the coolest thing because you got Troy Polamalu, who was USC, who who like Notre Dame with a passion, right? Larry Foot, again, University of Michigan, hates Notre Dame, and there was a couple other guys that. You know, just Notre Dame is not the liked team, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And all of, all of those guys to a man said, we're wearing this jersey out of respect and appreciation for you. And they let me know it now. <laughs> uh, but but it was it was a special moment because I knew how important it was for them uh, to really show me that love and appreciation. And it felt it, it felt so good to know that my teammates thought of me in that way because obviously, you know, you play football and, and this is a test of wills and, and you, you're trying to, to be a leader of men and you're trying to show them the, the correct path and the way to do things. And you don't expect to get that, that type of uh, acknowledgement, but for all those guys to, to wear that. And they didn't tell me, they just showed up and I just was, my, my jaw was just on the floor. Like what? Yeah, and just to see how many guys had it, I was like, first of all, where'd you guys get all these jerseys from, right? I'm like, just who thought of that? And, and it was just, I had so many questions, but it, it was just amazing to see those guys think that much of me to get off the plane with my jersey on in Detroit, my hometown. So I just have to ask, as you're sitting there on the sidelines at the Colts game at the old RCA Dome thinking, well, if this is my last play, I'm good with it to then a few weeks later seeing the confetti fly in your hometown and realizing <laughs> I'm going out a champion. How different were those two emotions you were going through? It was the extremes on both sides. 
it was the worst moment that I had ever been in from a football perspective. I mean, from high school, college, to, the worst moment ever to have in a uniform to the most exhilarating moment to ever have, to, to be able to go from one extreme to the other, right? Just in a, in a couple of weeks, usually it doesn't happen in a lifetime. And, and to, to go uh, in a couple of weeks to have that, it was, uh, it was so gratifying because obviously, you know, you, as football players every year is a, you know, it's a zero sum game. Yeah. It's like, it's either you win it all, or you lose. It doesn't matter. You come in second place, third place, you you lost, right? And so because of that, there's a finality, you know, with every season. And, you know, here, here I am able to have this moment after 12 years of disappointment to have it you know, and, and and really, I thought that it would never happen to me uh, just a year before. I said, hey, I don't think I'm ever going to be a champion, but I'm okay with And, you know, coming into the grips with it. But to now have the Lombardi trophy in my hand, right, to have it in my hand and to kiss it, it was just like, this is the nastiest thing in the world. <laughs> and I'm going to give this the kiss I can give it. I promise you that, right? And But it was just that moment of the, the emotions. But let me say this and let me come yeah. back because there's an important part of this that I am I, I'm missing and I and I have to apologize. After we won Cincinnati game, Ben Roethlisberger came to me and he said, I promised you we're going to get you there. This is the first one. After we won in Indianapolis, he came to me and said, Jerome, I promised you I was going to get you. This is the second one. After we won Denver, he said, Jerome, we're not done yet. I promised you I was going to get you to the Super Bowl, right? And after we win the Super Bowl, he gives me the game ball. He shoves it in my helmet. And he says, I told you, I promised you I was going to get you to the Super Bowl. And I told him, hey, your promise is complete. I love you, man. I appreciate it. We gave you said the big hug. And that was the moment when it all became reality. When he he shoved that that ball in my helmet and said, I promised you yeah. uh I was gonna get you uh to the Super Bowl. And he his words never rang more true than that moment. Listen, that's that's the shit that you'll never have anywhere else the rest of your life. Like, I, I, we worked together for a few years on NFL Live, and I enjoyed our time together. We there was a camaraderie, but nothing will ever replace that. And I just, I, I think this is a perfect place to end because uh, you've been so generous with your time. But um, I always enjoyed working with you because you were professional. You were you, you knew how to do the job, and you came prepared. And you left me once with one of the greatest pearls of wisdom. And I think this is the perfect way to sort of end this episode of Half Forgotten History. We were talking about, it was either Le'Veon Bell or, or somebody, I can't, remember, I can't remember who it was. But you had the greatest line of all time. And you said, you know, if everywhere you go it smells like shit, it might just be you. That I mean, I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard anything greater in 25 years of doing this this job. And I was like... You just nailed it, my friend. You just nailed it. <laughs> well, that, that comes from a lot of locker room talk from yeah. some, uh, some with more wisdom than I. So yeah. I uh, I did the same thing. I, I kind of that that pearl I took with me. Uh, it has been with me ever since, and I always kind of think back to it when uh, when guys are, are making some stupid decisions and and they they think that they don't know where this is coming from. It's like, uh, excuse me. Yeah. This is this happening a lot to you. You got to think about it, buddy. Might be you. Yeah, you might be the common denominator here. So look, anyway, I always I always enjoyed working with you. We played around a couple of rounds of golf together. I was so happy to be there to watch you go into the Hall of Fame. And just thank you for telling these stories because there's so many parts of your story that people have forgotten or probably never heard of. It, it, they're going to have yeah. so much fun listening to this. So, again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate our, our friendship, and I appreciate our time we work together. The great Jerome Bettis, everybody. And, Trey, I just want to say thank you as well. You were, you were incredible uh, as a mentor because you, gotta, you have to remember all of us coming into your world, it was all a new experience for us, and you treated us 
with a, a lot of uh, respect, although we were so new uh, in the industry and, and probably didn't deserve as much respect as you gave all of us. So I just want you to know from, from not only myself, but every guy who sat next to you on those desks, uh, we appreciate your uh, complete wizardry of of the the business but also how you how you handled us so thank you so much i appreciate you you got it brother anytime all right thanks again to jerome bettis for joining us he didn't have to say all those nice things actually he did because he would have been a jerk if he did no he didn't have to and i appreciated it always had fun working with the bus and helping us kick off season five with a hall of famer never a bad thing coming up next week on half forgotten history a quarterback who stood his ground and changed his career for the better former Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick, and a guy who made some really interesting choices in his career, quarterback Carson Palmer. That's next week on Half Forgotten History. We'll see you then.